deal. Good deal. You have me this morning, so I apologize ahead of time. Um, this morning, we're in chapter 10, chapter 10 of the story. We're about one-third of the way through the entire story, the entire narrative, and I'm, I'm really excited for it, and I want to encourage you guys. I know it's about this time, um, and this is how it works in school and whatnot, too, so it's about this time where everything starts to get maybe a little uh, stale. It's just kind of like routine, and the, the passion of, of this new thing we're doing is kind of dying out. I want to encourage you to stick with us, okay? If you're behind, that's fine, okay? Uh, if you want to get caught up, awesome. If you just want to skip and read the chapter that, chapter that we're at, Awesome. Okay, I want you, I just want to encourage you in one way or another to stick with us. I promise you there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it's going to be good that we have a goal set in mind that kind of by the end of this, what we kind of envision is that people will be able to look at our church and say, oh, the first Christian church in Mount Pulaski or Mount Pulaski Christian Church, whatever. They, their, their people, they know the Bible. They know the story. They know that from beginning to end, God's whole story, his whole plan, and how we fit into it, okay? And our goal is for you guys to feel comfortable to be able to pick up a Bible and say, hey, let me tell you about Christ, and let me tell you about, let me tell you about the Old Testament, now he fits into this whole thing, okay? So I promise you, there's an end in sight, and it's going to be, it's going to be awesome if you stick with us, so I encourage you to do that. But much like any movie, any book that you uh, emotionally invest into, you need to be able to know the cast, Right, um, and so with this, with chapter ten, I want to I want to uh, introduce to you the cast of chapter ten. Okay, I'm going to talk about a couple different people. One, we start off with Hannah, and she is a determined woman. Okay, she is persistent, and she loves the Lord. Okay, and she actually has a problem. She uh, she is not able to bear children. And when you look at the culture of this time, that was a big problem. Okay, because women really their only role at this time was to bear children. And so if, if a woman is not able to, like Hannah, the, the question is kind of raised like, well, what's the point? What's my purpose? Okay? And so we have Hannah, and eventually God blesses her, and she has our second character, Samuel. Okay? And she offers Samuel to the Lord, and Samuel is a blessed dude. I mean, from birth until his death, he completely walks with the Lord, and he has a personal relationship with God, okay? Something that most of us, most of us in here will not get, okay? But Samuel is blessed with that, and he actually becomes the high priest, and he introduces us to our next character, our third character, Saul, okay? And Saul is a tall, he's a young, good-looking lad, but he's also, at the same time, he's introverted, so pretty much picture the complete opposite of everything you see before you today, okay? So he, he's, he's a tall, good-looking lad, introverted, and this is King Saul, okay? He gets appointed, he gets appointed king. Those are our three main characters, okay? In this chapter, about how we're talking about today with being hungry for power, I think, I think it'll be very relatable for all of you in here today. I really hope so. For men, you'll be able to relate because men, we have this desire, this passion for power. And sometimes we'll say, no, no, I don't, but I'll get to that in a little bit, but we do, okay? We, are, we have this innate uh, need for having some sense of power, because in a way, that kind of makes us feel like we belong, or we feel respected, and we feel like we are able to, um, uh, we're able to have some kind of influence on people's lives, okay? We have that built within us. And women, it's not because of our ego, okay? It's not because of the ego, but it's because that's how we were made, Men were made for a desire for headship and to having some kind of authority and, and respect, okay? Oftentimes, yeah, we distort it and we turn it into this kind of self-centric ambition. 
But in, in the same time, that, but, and we'll see that again with Saul. We'll see that here with Saul. But women, you will also, I think, be able to relate to this as well because you understand that your man is the power. You understand that your man is the head of the household. And much like the phrase goes, you are the neck, and you can turn the head any way that you want. Okay? Power is a funny thing. Okay? A lot of times we all want it, um, but at the same time we don't want, we don't want the cost of it. Okay? And if we've learned anything from the original Spider-Man series, is that with great power comes great responsibility. Okay? And a lot of times, some of us who say we don't really want the power, it's because we look at the responsibility, and so we take a step back and we go, well, if that's what it's going to cost, I don't want the power. Okay? And often, the, responsi- I mean, the responsibility side, it scares us. It scares people off. Or simply, it causes people to feel inadequate to do the job, okay? And that we see that a lot through Old Testament characters, that this feeling of inadequacy to fulfill the job of, of the power and authority that has been given to them, okay? So many men, even here in Pulaski, they have this desire of power at some level, okay? Not, I'm not saying everyone wants to be king or president or whatnot, but we have some sense of power at some level, okay? But, they don't, but not all men necessarily want the responsibility, or they tend to pretend that they don't have the responsibility. And oftentimes, the church loses these men. Our church loses these men, not because they fail, not because the men fail, but because the church does nothing about it when they do. I want to apologize to men for a second, Okay, whether this is you here today or if they're not here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apologize, okay? Because a lot of times, the church seems fake to them, okay? They don't feel, maybe, maybe they do feel a sense of inadequacy. And we, have, we, have, we tend to have this, this uh, and also there's this sense that the church is kind of designed, and this may kind of step on some toes, but that's fine. That's fine with me. That the church sometimes can seem designed for females. I mean, you look at, our, you look at our, our main choruses and our songs, and even in our hymnals, they're very love and romanticized, and that's good. But the thing is, a lot of what we do in the church is appealing to women and not so much to men. We talk a lot about having this personal relationship with Christ and with God. And a lot of men, it's like, I mean, I, I can't have the same relationship I have with my wife as I'm going to have with God, so what's the point? My, my, uh, my professor in school would, would claim it like this. He doesn't have a personal relationship with Christ. And honestly, I stand here before you today, and I don't know if I could say the same thing. I know that may kind of shock you, but I would say that I have more of a covenantal relationship with God. And this is the same thing that most of the Israelites had too. Not everyone gets the same relationship as Samuel and Saul, but most of us are like the Israelites where we relate to God through obedience and through the covenant. Okay? So a lot of times in, this, in the church, we lose men, okay? We lose men. The church needs to not be a place where men feel like they don't belong, okay? And if, you're, if, that's, if that's you today, if you're here today, I need you to hear that you do belong, and we want you to belong. But at the same time, if you want to accept and if you want to strive to have some sense of power or authority— then you are also held responsible for leading the people who give you that authority. And I don't mean just by material provisions, 
and you're getting food on the table and having a house and, and clothes and shelter and whatnot. I mean, you're also responsible for the spiritual development and growth of those people who are giving you that power. And we see that this tends to be the problem with Saul in this chapter. Okay, we, see, we tend to see that problem. This chapter has two great men, Samuel and Saul, both receive power, and, and both from above, but they, they respond to it in two completely different ways, two completely different fashions. Samuel, he gets this calling from God. He gets this calling from God that he, he is actually blessed with a personal relationship with God. Okay, he gets that blessing. And if you want to turn with me to page 132, that's where I'll be first for page 132 for those of you who have the story with you today. Samuel's calling is interesting. Okay, I've never heard, I've never met anyone that has a similar calling. Okay, or did have a similar calling. There's one time where Samuel's very young and he's laying in bed. Okay, and he hears the voice of God and uh, kind of, I, I, I can imagine what it sounded like, but it's probably nowhere close. He says, Samuel. My son. Okay, that's as low as I can go right now, so you have to bear with me. All right, so he hears this, this call, and he gets up, and he runs to his master, Eli, and he says, Here I am. You called. Eli says, No, <laughs> I'm trying to sleep. Leave me alone. Go, to be- go back to bed. A little bit later, here, Samuel's laying in bed, and he hears the same thing. Samuel, my son. Okay, that was a little lower. That was good. And so he wakes up, and he goes over to Eli and says, Here I am. You called. He says, No. And this happens again. And finally, Eli's just like, What's going on? You know, it's got to be the Lord. So Samuel, go back, lay down. And when he calls, this is what you are to say. And Samuel responds, in the middle of page 132, he hears God's call. Samuel, my son. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Oh, it's an awesome response. A lot of us in here, we, we are able to say, here I am. You called. Here I am. But not all of us are able to say, speak, for your servant is listening. A lot of us come to church, and we can claim the name of Christ, and we'll be Christian, and we'll say, here I am, but we're not ready to take that next step and say, okay, now speak, because I'm listening, and I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready, I'm ready to accept your calling. And Samuel, he accepts this calling. He accepts the power, the authority that's going to be given to him. He's eventually going to become high priest. And he leads Israel, okay? And he leads Israel... Um, and he struggles a lot with Israel. Okay, he struggles a lot, not for his own power that he would, that he would uh, continue to hold on to his own power, but he struggles with Israel because they, the humans, Israel, the humans wanted to take that power and put it into a king, put it into a human king. And it's funny, it's ironic because eventually God gives him a king. And if you read what a king is actually allowed to do, it's pathetic. So God gives him a king, he's kind of like, eh. You're not really going to be able to do anything. And Samuel warns them of this. He says, you know why? Because you already have a king. And the thing is, the Israelites felt that having a king was necessary. They felt like they, they needed to be like all of the other nations. I mean, if they're going to compete to have their name reign supreme as Israel, if they're going to be able to uh, remain at all, live, stay in existence— they're going to need a king. Because all the other nations do, and they're doing great militarily. They're doing great. I mean, the Philistines, they were a powerful army. Okay, they are a powerful army. They are just kind of really more so annoyed with Israel rather than scared of them. Um, and so they, they have these, these close-knit, tight communities 
Um, they have great forms of communication, um, okay? And they, they have, they are, they're also in control of the manufacturing and maintenance of iron, of iron weapons. We actually read that Saul and Jonathan were the only ones in all of the Israelite army who had iron weapons. And it's crazy to me. I mean, the Israelite army is pathetic, <laughs> Okay, the Israelite army is pathetic. I mean, all the way up until now from this transition between the 12 tribe nation until they become a one nation under the monarchy, under a king, they, their military, through all these conquests you read, their military, they didn't have a standing army. They were largely dependent upon volunteers. Okay, and so the Israelites understood. They're not stupid. They're not instinctively dumb. They understood that they, by using reason, they could tell, just as anyone else, that the Philistines should be able to completely dominate the Israelites. So naturally, they think, oh, we need a king who's young and brave and strong and tall and who's going to be able to lead us courageously into the battlefield, and that is how we're going to find victory. If you turn with me to page 135, Samuel warns them. He said, no, you're wrong. You don't need a king. And he says, he says at the bottom of it, he says, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Can I give you a sneak peek at what's to come? Is that we're going to have a long line of these kings, this, this kingship of Israel, and largely they fail. I mean, God and Samuel both warns them, they knew that the kingships would fail. I mean, as, you keep re- as we keep reading the story, we're going to see a constant pattern of the king being appointed, the king failing, and then Israelite, the, Israel, the Israelites wanted a new king. And so a new king gets appointed, and the same thing happens again. And it's just like, wake up. You already have a king. But they thought, if they don't have the one person to lead them, then they lose the name that they have, which is Israel. Which means, triumph with God. Not for God, but triumph with God. And so it's ironic that they would want to have the triumph with a king, instead of God. I think the author of Samuel, and it's largely debated who it is, I think the author of Samuel knew that this monarchy would fail. I mean, he, just by his writing, he, he's, he obviously shows that the Israelites needed to recognize their absolute dependence upon a theocracy, upon God as their only king. And until the Israelites recognize that, until God's people recognize their need for him and him alone, God's people will surely fail. And God just kind of sits back and goes, you know what? If that's really what you want, if you're really just going to keep complaining until you have a king, if you really want a king, if you really want a president, if you really want the government, if you really need all of this, then have it. And you know what? 
I assure you it's going to fail. God shall always be the true leader of his people. But go ahead and just keep putting your faith in something else. We find Saul. Saul enters our story. And we find Saul searching for his, his father's donkeys. Okay? Somehow his dad lost the donkeys. I don't know how that happens. But he's off searching for them. Okay? And we find him and he has to go uh, look for them. And so he comes up with this idea. And his friend come up with an idea to, hey, let's go talk to Samuel. Because he's a man of God. And let's ask him to ask God where the donkeys are. Okay? I, I don't think I've ever made that request. And I hope I never have to. I don't know why. But I hope I never have to. Okay, but see, God prepped Samuel for this meeting. He said Samuel's coming, or Saul's coming, and he's going to be appointed king. Saul was a modest man. Okay, he knew that he was a Benjamite from the beginning. He was a modest man. He was a Benjamite, and if you remember back to Israel having his twelve sons, Benjamin was the last one, and from him came the weakest, meekest tribe. Okay, and so from that tribe was Saul, and he understood where he came from. Okay. And it's, it's kind of funny to see uh, him and how he got appointed as king <laughs> because there, for some reason the word had spread, the word had finally spread that their, their request was going to be made and that they were eventually going to get a king. And so Samuel comes ready to present the king to all of Israel and tons of people gather, right? And I mean, he's got to like use some kind of a PA system to talk to everyone that's there so they can hear him. And somehow there's some kind of lottery choice pick that happens with all of the tribes. They narrow it down to one tribe, Benjamin. And then they narrow it down between the clans. And it comes to Saul's clan. And Saul somehow gets chosen. Okay? So Samuel stands before the, uh, all of Israel, the nation. And he's ready to present the new king. He says, without further to do, I now present to you your new king, Saul. And the crowd goes crazy. Right? And everyone's just cheering and hollering and yelling. And it kind of dies down, and Samuel just kind of does this fan of white pose, and there's nothing behind him. And everyone's like, okay, that's our, we don't have a, are you, is this a joke? And Samuel is just like, great, first day on the job, the kid doesn't show, right? Youth, I tell you. And so they find him, they find him, and, and someone points out to Samuel and says, oh, Saul's hiding behind the baggage. And so he finds Saul, and he's just kind of like, oh, hey guys, is this my turn? I'm here, I'll be your new king, Right? He was a modest man, but he actually turns out, Saul turns out at the end to be dangerously unpredictable, okay? He, he, he is an introvert at heart, but at the same time, he has this, sense, this brash and daring stature. He seems like a good choice for Israel. He seemed like a good choice for, for his physique and, and who he was. He seemed like a good choice, but his unraveling would soon come. See, Unlike Samuel, unlike Saul, you most likely will not get those huge callings. You most likely will not get the same calling Samuel got and actually hear an audible voice from God. You most likely won't get a call like Saul did and have a high priest say, hey, this is what you're going to do. This is what God has decided for your life. You most likely won't get that big neon flashing light sign that says, go do this. You won't get that email, that letter in the mail, the, the text that says, hey, this is God. I think you should do this, LOL. TBA, okay? You're not going to get that. Am I saying that you aren't called? Or am I saying that those callings aren't possible? No. Am I saying for the large majority of us, the large majority of us, it doesn't work that way, okay? But you do receive a calling, just like all of Israel had a calling. And when we do receive those callings, often 
it creates this kind of anxiety or fear within us because we know what that means. We know what that's going to mean for our lives. Do you want to know what was the cause of Saul's unraveling? It was fear. Not fear because of the onslaught of the Philistines that they were going to destroy him, but it was fear because he was afraid that he was going to fail the people that gave him the authority. And he allows this fear to overwhelm him. And you know what he does? He takes matters into his own hands. If you turn with me to page 142, we see this story happen where Saul joins Jonathan, his son, in battle. And they have 3,000 men. And that's it. And the Philistines understand that where the Israelites are, and they gather together slowly. And they realize... Israelites realize that the Philistines have 3,000 chariots alone, okay? They have what the Israelites have in men, but in the strongest military uh, weapon that there was at the time, okay? Their, their military, their army was massive, was huge. And the Israelites start to freak out a little bit, okay, as anyone should with, with such a little army, okay? But see, Saul received a, a, an a order from Samuel saying, hey, wait for me, because on the seventh day I'm going to come. And I'm going to tell you what to do. God's going to tell us what to do. And so they wait for the first couple days, and they're just kind of like, oh man, the Philistine army is getting really big. Hopefully he does come soon. Next couple days pass, and people start to freak out, and they start to scatter little by little. And they start hiding behind baggage, behind rocks and caves, whatever. They start hiding because they know what's going to come. The next couple days pass, and and Saul's freaking out, and he's trying to figure out what to do and what's the next step. And he's thinking, I've got to remember, Samuel's coming, Samuel's coming. Day seven comes. And Saul thinks that Samuel's nowhere in sight. And so he says, okay, I'll do this. I'm king. He's going to take an animal sacrifice. And he's going he's to take an animal. He's going to sacrifice him. And he's going to head him off into war. And as soon as he sacrifices the animal, Samuel shows up. And he says, on page 142, what have you done? Asks Samuel. A little ways down, he says, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. And we think, well, what's the problem? What's going on here? Why is this such a big deal? Okay? I mean, what happened is if we don't know what you maybe not be able to tell from just reading this, is that the animal sacrifice was the high priest's rights and his alone. He was the one to make the decision to sacrifice an animal and what to do next. Okay? And he says, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Man, if I had a dime every time... I heard that, that if, every time I heard the Lord that was supposed to say that to me, I'd be able to pay for Obamacare without a problem. So, I know. But, Samuel not only, he not only had the right of the animal sacrifice, he also had the right to bestow and to take away power from the king. And this is what he does with Saul because of his, Saul's decision. And he takes away the power from the king, and we see a glimpse of what is to come, of a new king to come, which is going to be David, okay, in the next chapter. And from him, the true king of Israel will come. Oh, it's exciting stuff. Saul was finished. He couldn't get past his own desire, his own pleasures, and his own fears. 
Not only was he not able to accept the responsibility that came with the power, but he also wasn't able to just give up his power when it was already taken from him. You see, the problem with this chapter is that people are going to fail you if you put all of your trust in them. I'm not saying people are always going to fail you, but I am saying people will always fail you if you put all of your trust in them. There is a, a worship leader, worship artist, and he's, he's, he was a pretty famous worship leader, maybe still is, and he sold a lot of albums. I mean, we, used, we sing his songs in church. A lot of people did, and he was leading worship every weekend. And then word got out, and I mean, he was, he was a great leader. A lot of people trusted him and respected him as a man of God, and word got out that he was having an affair. And it wasn't just once, it wasn't a one-time thing, but he, this was ongoing for five years. That every Sunday he'd get up there and, and worship and lead people and sell songs and whatnot. And on the backside, he'd be having an affair with another woman. And I was crushed. And I know several people were, were destroyed by that. Because we put our trust in certain leaders, even in Christian leaders, Christian human leaders, we put our trust. And I'm telling you, people will always fail you if you put all of your trust in them. And this is what the Israelites did. They put all of their trust in a king, in a human. And just as Samuel warned them already, you don't need it because you already have a king. Regardless of what happens in this world, regardless of who's president or where the government is going, or what's going to happen with health insurance. You already have a king. Saul wanted to be like everybody else. He wanted to be able to lead a nation into, our, into, into war and be able to make his own decisions. And he wanted the Israelites to look like everybody else. And the problem with that, men and women, is that when you're truly following God, you can't look like everybody else. You have to make a decision. You have to decide who's going to be on the throne. Is it going to be you? And you're going to allow your fears and pleasures to rule your life? Is it going to be a human, man-made authority? President, government, whatever. Church leader. Or is it going to be God? And today I wanted to leave you with a scripture from Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, Some will trust in chariots, and some will trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And ask, is, where are you at today? Do you place your trust in chariots? Do you place your trust in horses? Or in the government? Or in a man or a woman? Or are you going to trust in the name of the Lord our God? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're humbled as we come before you now, as, as we enter into another time of worship where we get to sing praises to your name. And it's that name, Lord, that we ask that you, you encourage us, that you can constantly call us back to you so we can continue to trust in that name. For we have no reason not to, other than our own selfish ambitions, other than our own fears. Lord, guard us, protect us from the onslaught of the enemy. 
guide us, lead us, that we can be a strong people of you and you alone and no other name. Lord, we thank you and we love you. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen.